Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today, we're living in today's world with Greg Patton, but first, we'll be wrestling with the question of a loving God in a fallen world with author Ken Ham. God is still on the throne, and prayer changes things. We are almost at the 90-day mark of our Meeting the Mission dollar-for-dollar match. We're asking you to help us meet the $1 million goal. So many people from all over North America have responded. Thank you. Your gift is being doubled right now. You can have an eternal impact with your financial support. Would you please give today? Our number, 1-800-652-1144. That's the number to call. Or you can give at our website, supportswrc.com. Thank you for helping us meet the mission of proclaiming the truth that God is still on the throne and prayer changes things. Is God truly loving as the Bible says? Why do death, disease, and suffering exist in this world if there's a loving God? Ken Ham has been asked that question many, many times. He's here ready to answer this question and share the ultimate solution found in God's Word. How could a loving God who is totally sovereign allow evil and suffering? And there is plenty of that in the world today. Sometimes professing Christians who have suffered personal loss and tragedy turn their backs on the Lord, like Ted Turner. Well, our guest is Ken Ham, a trusted Christian apologist and founder and CEO of Answers in Genesis, the Creation Museum, and the Ark Encounter. We're going to be speaking about his new book, Divine Dilemma, Wrestling with the Question of a Loving God in a Fallen World. Ken Ham is with me on the phone. Ken, thank you so much for taking time out. I know you have a busy schedule, but our listeners really love you and Answers in Genesis. Well, it's great to be with you, Larry. I look forward to talking with you about this topic. Yes, it's an important one. Well, your book deals with a very complex subject, wrestling with the question of a loving God in a fallen world. It's a very personal issue with you because of the loss of your younger brother, Robert, who died of a, I think it was a degenerative brain disease in 2002. Yes, right in the midst of a growing ministry. Tell us a little bit about that background. Yes, well, I had a younger brother. In fact, there were six siblings altogether. And our brother, Robert, died when he was 45 years old, as you said, with a degenerative brain disease. But he was a pastor. In fact, he started off as a bank manager, Mm. uh, but he had a real burden to preach and a real burden to be involved in full-time Christian work. And he was very successful as a bank manager, very good at it, and people loved him. He left that and went to Bible college, and, of course, they had to you know, struggle financially during that time of uh, three years at Bible college. He went there and got a degree, came out as a Bible teacher, a pastor, and then started preaching at a church on the Gold Coast in Australia, and people loved his preaching. He was an expositional preacher, you know, verse by verse through Scripture, which is so missing today because so many many pastors do not do that sort of teaching. And, and of course, he was an ardent creationist, uh, brought up in the same family I was (laughs) with a father and mother that stood on the authority of the Word of God, and so he had such a passion for biblical authority and never compromising God's Word. And so he loved our ministry, actually, uh, of Answers in Genesis and loved what we stood for and 
uh, always supported me. And in fact, while he was a bank manager, he even supported us financially mm. as a family because when we started the ministry in the early days in, in Australia, there was, uh, well, it was very small and we had, you know, had to struggle financially ourselves and yet the Lord blessed and looked after us and used people like even my, my brother to help us right. to be able to get through those times. So he had a wonderful teaching ministry and, and his church was growing as people were hearing about his great Bible teaching and people were really blessed. And then tragedy struck and he started to have some issues. Mm. And the doctors, others didn't know what it was at first, but it turned out to be a degenerative brain disease that really was awful, actually. And to see him deteriorate mentally, to forget the sermons that he had preached, to not understand, you know, the surroundings around him. And and over two years, he really deteriorated. Mm. You, you imagine someone who has Alzheimer's, but right. they're young, and it's really bad Alzheimer's. It sort of was like that. And just to see that happen and, and see the way in which it, it uh, affected his whole body and mental capacity and so on was uh, was excruciating for us to watch right. and, and to be a part of, you know, being there with him. Well, this is certainly a common issue. I know at the end of my first year in seminary, I had a fellow student who had just graduated. A church in North Carolina had called him as their pastor. He was coming back to Texas to get his wife and children. And then we heard that he was killed on the highway in an automobile accident. It just devastated his wife. Uh, the church that he was going to in North Carolina loved him. They loved his preaching. He was a good guy, really loved the Lord, so forth. So what we're talking about is not some, um, well, low-frequency issue. It happens many times. I've been a pastor for, I think, 52 years, and I've I had many cases like this. So, Ken, what do you tell people who are grieving today from a, a situation similar to yours? Well, you know, because this has been a question down through the ages, you know, and, and why does God allow death and suffering? And in the book that I wrote, Divine Dilemma, I sort of do it from the perspective particularly of my mother, who was, you know, dealing with her husband, my father, died when he was 66 years old, so she had to deal with uh, that. And, you know, 66 is fairly young in one sense, and he was a great Bible teacher too. I mean, he was a school wow. principal, but wow. he was a great Bible teacher. And so... You know, it, it's interesting because you know, my mother would even say things like, you know, it, it doesn't make sense. We need more people who believe God's Word, not less. And it doesn't make sense for, for Robert because he was a great Bible teacher. And, you know, she would even say the liberal pastor down the street that actually undermines God's Word, he's as healthy as an ox. And mm. yet look what's happening, you know, to her son. And, and so we had to look at all this from a perspective of God's Word, obviously stand back and look from a biblical perspective. I mean, my mother never lost her faith or anything like that. I mean, she was so strong in her faith, and and even through all of this, she would be witnessing to people, and even when she ended up in a, a nursing home at the yeah. end of her life, she was a great witness for the Lord and so on. But the only way to understand this, and of course, you know, our ministry is Answers in Genesis. And yeah. First of all, we have to go back to Genesis and to the first 11 chapters, because the first 11 chapters of Genesis are foundational to everything. I mean, the origin of all the basic entities of life in the universe are there, and the origin of death is there. So the first thing 
that we had to look at was the fact that death was the penalty for sin and that really none of us deserve anything. I mean, when you look at it from that big perspective, we don't even deserve to exist because we and Adam committed high treason against the God of creation. So we don't even deserve to have this life that we have. And death is the penalty for sin. And I I know it's easy. I didn't want this book to be one that was, you know, well, God's in control, you know, suck it up. uh, That's the way it is. And, you know... We know all things work together for good. You know, we hear that Bible verse quoted and so on. And that's true. All things do work together for good for those that love the Lord and and that sort of thing. But I wanted people to understand that, you know, if my mother is a godly woman, and and for myself, we we ask those questions. And we still ask them in a way. And it's okay to, because we're human. We're finite. To say, God, why is this happening? I, I don't understand this. It doesn't make sense. I mean, I could stand back now from a big-picture perspective and say, hey, you know what, there's there's more people being ministered to by my brother's mm-hmm. uh, death through this, through this book and through talks that I've given on this topic referencing him than he ministered to in his own life. We can look at those sorts of things and see that and realize God can have a bigger picture for things. But we still struggle through the issue. Yes. But we do, we do need to understand that death is the penalty of sin. And as, as I said to my mother, you know, that liberal pastor down the street, you know what? He's going to die. Um, <laughs> right. But if he hasn't trusted Christ for salvation and, and believed God's word as he should, I mean, then he's got a problem. You know, the Bible talks about a second death, a separation yes. from God, that those that haven't uh, trusted in him. And, you know, when we when we look at it from a perspective of when my brother passed away, when he died, he then was totally healed because he went to be with the Lord. Right. And, you know, it's, it's interesting that we read that passage in Scripture that says, precious in the sight of the Lord is mm. the death of one of his saints. And we say, why would that be precious? Because, you know, because of our sin, we have that separation from God. And w- when you feel that separation from a loved one, when a loved one dies, and you feel how horrible that separation is, we should be reminded of how great a separation there is between us and our God because yes. of our sin. And so, actually, if you think about it, when we and Adam sinned against God, if God left us in that sinful state, we'd be in that sinful state forever. Be What a, what a horrible place that would be, separated from right. God. But God wanted us to spend eternity with him. He placed upon us the curse of death, the judgment of death, so he had to die, so that he could then come in the person of his son and suffer that judgment himself right. of death and conquer death to provide... Uh, salvation. So, in a way, you could say that it, it's only because of death that we're able to come back to be with God. So, in that sense, it's a blessing for us yes. because it enables us to come back to God because of that separation, because of our sin. We have to understand the holiness of God and that He has to judge sin. And, you know, I think from that perspective, we we stand back and look at the big picture aspects of of death and the fact that it is the penalty for sin but God has provided the solution um, in Jesus Christ and I I always say too to people you know the, the ultimate answer really I think is in the book of Job because you know when you read through Job people often think well, Job's all about death and suffering, and look what happened to Job. And we, we, we know some things at the beginning of the book that Job didn't know about how the devil came to God and right. God allowed him to test Job and 
but not to take his life and all the rest of it. And then if we go through this whole book, and then people say, but it doesn't give you the answer as to why death and suffering. But you know what? I believe it does. Mm. Because as Job listened to the bad advice from his friends, and then not only that, Job started to justify himself before God as to, you know, what a, he would have been basically a, a good person and all the rest of it. And then God told Job, Job, just, just stop here for a moment. I want you to answer these questions, Job. Do you know this? Do you know that? Do you know this? Do you know that? What about that? Can you do this? Can you hold this right. together? Do you know how this works? And you know, when you read Job chapter 38, 39, mm. 40, 41, it's really, a lot of it has to do with creation. It has to do with yes. God and what he created and how he holds everything together and, and the mysteries of things. And, and you know what? God was teaching Job something. God was teaching Job that compared to what God knows, he knows next door to nothing. <laughs> and that, right. that's why Job came to that conclusion in Job 42. And he said, now I see you. You know all things. In other words, I know nothing compared to you, and I repent in dust and ashes. Amen. And, you know, that really is ultimately the solution. We grieve, we struggle, we ask questions, and that's okay. But ultimately, we've got to come to that position. Job did the same. But you know what? You are God. You know infinitely more than I know, and I've got to recognize that. And just because I don't understand something or I think something's unfair, or it doesn't make sense to me, doesn't mean that there's not an answer to it all. It's because we don't know everything. Only God does. And yes. It's a reminder for us that we have to trust in Him. And there's always that faith aspect, because we're humans, we're finite. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And there's always that faith aspect, and we've got to stand back and let God be God. As hard as it is, we have to let God be God. Amen. And, you know, and as I say, it doesn't mean we don't ask those, those questions, doesn't mean we don't struggle, doesn't mean we don't grieve, we don't cry, doesn't mean any of that. We do, and we struggle, and we cry out to God, but then we have to stand back and say, but we've got to let God be God. And I saw my mother do that. She struggled, she grieved, she cried, and uh, asked questions, and said things don't make sense, but then she said, but, but God, mm, God's, right. in, God's in control. And that's really the bottom line, isn't it, Larry? Yes, it really is. Even, um, you know, like Job said, though he slay me, I'm, I'm going to trust him. I don't understand it all, but uh, <laughs> my faith is in him. Well, friends, we're featuring Ken Ham's new book, Divine Dilemma, Wrestling with the Question of a Loving God in the Fallen World. Ken shares with us a tragedy in his own family. He also provides some key scriptures and thoughts that need to direct our thinking in this matter. Our toll-free number is 1-800-652-1144. Just give us a call. Ken, why do so many who claim to be Christians, and you mentioned several in your book, have a tragedy in their lives or families and then decide to walk away from the faith? And the reason I'm asking that question how can pastors kind of cut that that problem off at, at before it gets really bad? What what should affect and control and direct our, our preaching since this often happens, a tragedy in their family, and then they walk away from the faith? Well, you know, I, I really believe 
that a lot of this is tied up with how we teach God's Word, particularly beginning in Genesis, mm. and how we understand God's Word beginning in Genesis. And obviously, you know, we could talk a lot about that particular question and, and deal with it in different ways, but one of the problems that we have in our world today, and one of the problems we have in the Church, is that many pastors have not taught the book of Genesis as literal history. Many have compromised it with evolution in millions yes. of years. Others have said, well, it's too controversial, and I, and I won't deal with it, uh, because it creates you know, division in the church and so on. But here's the thing. If Genesis 1 to 11, the first 11 chapters of the Bible, are foundational to the rest of the Bible, yes. to all doctrine, to our Christian worldview, in fact, to everything, there's nothing that's not founded there. In other words, to understand any issue, it doesn't matter what it is, you have to start with those first 11 chapters and what God has revealed there. And that's true of dealing with abortion or marriage or dealing with the LGBT movement or dealing with racism or dealing with anything. And it's true of dealing with death. And so we need to be making sure, and our pastors, our Christian leaders need to be making sure that they're laying the right foundation from Genesis and from the start that people are really taught and understand that God's not the one who's responsible for death and suffering. We are, yeah. because we sinned against a holy God. And until we understand that and deal with that, I think you know people can get angry at death and angry at God because of death, uh, I should say. I think of a lot of people who grew up in churches, and it's interesting to note that many of the leading you know, atheist spokespersons around today grew up in, in churches or were taken to right. church as, as kids. But in majority of these churches, they didn't take Genesis as literal history and said, you can believe in evolution in millions of years. The majority of our Christian leaders believe in millions of years. And see, if you believe in millions of years, then the world we look at today, when we're looking out at this world today, it's a world of death and suffering and disease. Now, therefore, that's gone on for millions of years. And you think about it, then who's responsible for death and suffering? I mean, if God used millions of years, if he used evolution to, to evolve man, and he used millions of years, then God's responsible for all this death and right. disease and suffering. So how can there be a loving God? And that's a big problem, because that's one of the big questions asked by a lot of young people today. How can there be a loving God with all the death and suffering? And they need to understand, death is an enemy. That's what the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 15. Death is an intrusion. It's an enemy because of sin. Death hasn't always been here. The world we're experiencing today is a fallen world, a groaning world, Romans 8 says, because of our sin. So the first thing we have to understand is the reason for death, it's our fault. We have to come to grips with our problem, our problem of sin, that we sinned in, in Adam, and we need to look at ourselves and blame our sin and stop blaming God for death. Amen. I think you're absolutely right about Genesis 1 through 11. And one of the things that really troubles me is that so much children's literature, you know, especially for little kids and even older kids, 
Noah is in a little funny boat. It looks like a cartoon. Adam and Eve look like cartoon figures. I mean, there's no reality to it. So every, everybody kind of dismisses all of the Genesis account. They get their impression of what Genesis 1 through 11 is about from the cartoons. And they say, well, I don't believe cartoons. This is just kid stuff. And I think you would agree with me. I, I mean, this is real history. This happened in time and space. It's not a myth. And yep. the, the history in Genesis is foundational to everything. The first 11 chapters. You know, that's why at the Creation Museum, when we walk people through the history in the Bible, we walk them through what we call the seven seas of history. And so we start with Genesis, creation, perfect creation, then corruption, the entrance of sin and death. That's why there's death in the world. That's right. why there's evil in the world and so on. And that's why uh, we're separated from God, and that's why we die, and that's why we need uh, a Savior. And that's why when, when the first man, Adam, sinned, God killed animals and clothed Adam and Eve, the first blood sacrifices, a covering for their sin, pointing to the one who would come and die for our sin. In fact, in Genesis 3.15, God promises a Savior. And then we have the catastrophe of Noah's flood, that's why there are fossils all over the world. The yeah. fossils weren't laid down over millions of years before man. Mm-hmm. Death didn't exist until after man sinned. And then the Tower of Babel, uh, God gave different languages, forming different people groups and so on. And those first four seas, that's Genesis 1 to 11, because Genesis 1 to 11 is the history in geology, biology, astronomy, yeah. anthropology. It's the history that's foundational to everything. Amen. And if we haven't been teaching that and haven't been teaching it in our Sunday schools and churches, and people think Genesis is just, you know, interesting stories or a fairy tale, or as you say, you know, so many of our children's books and Sunday school material have Noah's Ark looking like an overloaded yeah. bathtub about to sink it, <laughs> sink at any moment with giraffes sticking out the chimney. Yes. And when they don't understand that history and don't understand foundations, then they don't understand the meaning. They don't understand life. They don't understand our doctrine. And, you know, I look at it this way. Whenever I'm teaching anything about Christianity, I'm building a house, right? So if I'm teaching about the gospel, I've got to start from the foundation, the perfect world marred by sin. That's why we need a savior. And so you teach the foundation because you're not going to understand the message of of the cross and the resurrection unless you've got the right foundation. Powerful words from today's guest, Ken Ham. Let me encourage you, if you're wrestling with grief, if you're asking why, please get a copy of Ken Ham's new book, Divine Dilemma. Call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or you can order at our website, swrc.com. Time for a look at the world around us from the perspective of someone who's been around. Here's Greg Patton. Looking at a picture of a man with his arms around his wife. The picture was taken in North Carolina in the mountains. The man says it's about a year after our son died in a motorcycle crash. Life hasn't been the same since. Leaning into the new normal, waiting until heaven to see our boy again. I can certainly identify with that one. Our marriage seemed to be surviving the stress of losing a child as we found comfort from God, each other, and those friends and family who surround us with love. But in the midst of all of that, we were also trying to navigate Tish's 
diagnosis of having Parkinson's disease and what it might mean for our future. I knew in my head that God had all things in his control, but, but still I wondered if I really trusted him for what might be next. And then things with Tish began to quickly drift. She began to forget simple things and then not-so-simple things. In May the next year, I planned a three-week trip to Ireland. We would rent a car and wander the countryside. On the second week of the trip, while we were driving up the stunning western coast of Ireland, Tish looked at me and said, I- I'm not sure who you are. I pulled over, looked into her eyes. She wasn't joking. She did not remember that I was her husband, and that was the beginning of my new normal. On one of our last days in Ireland, I was asked to perform for a group of about 50 Americans and Irish university students. I'd met with their marvelous leader earlier in the trip and shared my grief of losing my son in the blink of an eye, and now it seemed losing my wife in slow motion. I performed one of my shows for them in the afternoon and was planning on performing another that night. Tish was tired and was already in bed before the evening performance. But instead of a performance, the leaders asked me if I could tell the students a bit of my recent story. And then the students asked if I would sit in the middle of the room while they surrounded me to pray for me. One of the leaders, who also had lost a grown son in an accident, prayed, thankfully for the assurance and the hope of heaven, where all will be made well again. We were all crying. Then a long silence. And then a young Irish woman prayed. She prayed simply. I can still hear in my head the melonious timber of her Irish accent. She prayed quietly. Lord Jesus, you know what it's like to have a forgetful bride. And that was it. I laughed through my tears. This young Irish student probably had no idea how prophetically she had prayed. I was reminded powerfully, in a flash, in a moment, that Jesus knew, of course, better than me, what to do with a forgetful bride. Love her. I was reminded that with all my doubts and all my wondering and all my impatience was his forgetful bride, and he simply loved me. He simply loves me now. It's been over a year since that Irish prayer. Tish's Parkinson's dementia is getting steadily worse day by day. Today, we celebrated our 35th anniversary at a cabin in the mountains of North Carolina. I reminded her this morning, as I do every morning, I'm your husband, and I love you. This afternoon, when we returned from a marvelous late lunch at a streamside mountain restaurant, she looked at me quizzingly and said, you're my dad, right? I gave her my standard reply. She asked me that often. Nope. Your dad's been dead for 10 years, and I'm a whole lot better looking than your dad ever was. She laughed and went and pet the dog. So the days are getting very interesting for me now. I wait with great anticipation and joy. The soon birth of my first grandbaby to our sweet Lily and her marvelous ridge. God only knows what life with my forgetful bride will look like in the days ahead. But I do know that as forgetful as my bride is, Jesus will keep on loving me, and I will pray to do the same for all those dear to me, especially my bride.
Once again, friends, let me encourage you that if you're wrestling with grief or if you're asking why, please get a copy of Ken Ham's new book entitled Divine Dilemma. Using personal examples from within his own family, Ken opens up about his experiences grappling with this difficult topic, and he shares the ultimate solution found in God's Word. Divine Dilemma by Ken Ham. Order your copy today when you call 1-800-652-1144. Or you can order at our website, swrc.com. Tomorrow, Ken Ham will have more insight into how you and I can biblically deal with the death, disease, and suffering that's all around us. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station by downloading our SWRC mobile app or by subscribing to our daily Watchman on the Wall podcast. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and has been supported for over 90 years by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com.